Welcome to Liquor and Liqueur Connoisseur, where I drink, discuss, and discover the world of distilled spirits. I'm your host, Matt Burchard. This is episode 50, and I'm drinking Lucid Absinthe. For each episode, I'd like to remind my listeners that I strive to be well-researched and educational, also entertaining and consistent in my reviews. I chose to feature Lucid on this episode because I bought the bottle last summer while in California, and I've been waiting for the right time to do the research on absinthe as a category of spirit, and I'll also admit I've been a bit apprehensive about drinking it because I'm not a fan of black licorice. However, I may be misguided in this apprehension because anise, which is used to flavor Lucid, is not really the same as black licorice. So we'll find out together if I really like it or not. The bottle of Lucid I have for this tasting is a 375 milliliter version of it. It is 62% alcohol by volume, making it 124 proof. And it retails for about $35 at this size, about twice that price for the $750. The bottle is tall, squared, and slender. It's dark green glass, and the long neck allows you to grasp the bottle just from the necking and carry it in one hand quite easily. The words imported from France are molded into the top just below the shoulder and above the applied label, which is an embossed foil label that reads Lucid Absinthe Superior. Below the applied label printed right onto the glass are depictions of three different botanicals with the words Grand Wormwood, Green Anise or Anise, Sweet Fennel, Hysop, and Roman Wormwood. And then there's two more depictions of botanicals below these, which I assume to be the Hysop and Roman Wormwood. And finally, above the proof information at the foot of the bottle are the words beet neutral spirits distilled and infused with herbs. My bottle also features a hang tag in the shape of the front label, and inside it has one little recipe for a lucid basil mule, but the claim to fame, really for lucid, which is the text that reads, Following the repeal of the 95-year ban, lucid was the first authentic absinthe legally available in the United States. The back of the bottle has a concise story printed on it, but I'll get into the history after we drink it. So let's go ahead and open it up. Okay, this is a sealed bottle and I'm gonna try twisting. Now, there's no immediate easy open. I might have to to get a a knife out and cut this uh, foil heat shrink. Okay, hang on, I'm getting it with my hands. Yeah, I need a tool, hang on. All right, handy pocket knife. Took the foil and here goes a pop. Nice. A little cork stopper. Ooh, it's on the nose. It's surprising. It's herbal. I like it. Not the licorice assault I had feared. So let's go for a pour. And as I taste all spirits on this podcast, I'm going to try Lucid Absinthe Neat. And I'm using a clean Glencairn for that. So we'll go for a pour. That's a beautiful yellowish green color in the glass. Very clear spirit. All right, let's try it on the nose. I do get licorice a bit, but I may be misinterpreting licorice for anise. That's common. I 
avoid licorice, but I get a hint of good and plenty candy. It's not overly sweet. Actually, this is a, a dry spirit. There's not sugar in it. It's not a liqueur. It is indeed a liquor. At 124 proof, you got to be a bit careful of not singeing your nostrils, getting a, a nose full of it. But Yeah, there's the anise, but then there's, there's more herbal complexity that I'd have difficulty describing. I do get a fresh mintness to it. It, it feels cooling. Maybe a menthol, but that may just be some of the ethanol. <laughs> One more little bit on the nose. It smells good. I'll say that. It smells good. Now I'm going to try this neat, just straight out of the bottle, room temperature, like I do with all spirits, to get the true sense of the spirit as the maker intended. However, I will be diluting this with water because absinthe, as a general rule, is not intended to be consumed neat. It is almost always, without exception, diluted with cold water. And I'll speak more about that in a minute, but let's go in for a taste of 62% ABV, 124 proof absinthe. Mm. Oh, it's hot. I gotta, <laughs> I should have waked up my palate for a little bit. Mmm. I get the numbing on the tongue from the high proof. It burns. There was an intense anise flavor. It's pleasant. It's good and plenty flavor, I will say, but not like black rope licorice at all. I'm going to try one more neat sample of this. In the second taste, after I've had some alcohol i had it i should have had something a little first to wake up the palate say hey here, here comes a big dose of booze i get a lot more of the complexity and the flavor it's quite good really getting my nose down into the glencairn glass when i'm drinking it i get the aromas it is a, a star anise there's a bitterness underlying hitting me in the back of the tongue i believe that's the wormwood uh, grand wormwood is said to be the second most bitter herb used so it's it's not overly bitter i like the bitterness yeah it's quite good so now the exception to my rule i'm going to add water to absinthe and the reason being is absinthe very high proof and it has a lot of different oils in solution with the alcohol and when you add water it causes what's known as spontaneous emulsification basically the oils from the botanicals come out of suspension and the spirit which is now clear and light green is supposed to get cloudy and turn a, a much uh, lighter whiter cloudy green color and this is where the notion of like the green fairy comes from which is a, a nickname for absinthe and it's a bit of a magic trick really it seems like but the french also have a term for this that i'll be explaining more it's referred to as the louche so i have a another glass of cold water and i'm going to use a metal straw that i have just to do a couple drops of water and before my eyes oh put a few drops in 
I can see, like, if you've got a non-chill filtered whiskey and you add water to it or ice cubes, you'll start to see some of the oils kind of swirl around with it. And that's what's starting to happen here. Oh, this is kind of cool. <laughs> so I may, I have a pre-measured amount of water as I kind of drip this in slowly. It just creates these neat little tails and trails and swirling oils. It's changing the color of it. This is quite neat. So there's traditional service of absinthe where you'll use a water dripper, a fountain. I'll talk more about that, but that's neat. Okay, I'm going to pour a larger measure of water in. Just get the full effect. <laughs> it is kind of like a ma magic trick. Wow. It just totally clouds up and becomes nearly opaque and gets this um, quintessential absinthe color. It's a, a lightish green. Ooh. I'm stirring. I don't know if I'm supposed to stir. One of the things is you basically want to get about a one-to-one -one ratio. The thing is you can always add more water, but you can't take water out. So that's why uh, traditionally you would drip it in to get it to your taste. Interesting thing as well about diluting the spirit with water. If you're starting at 62% ABV and then you dilute it one-to-one -one with water, you're cutting it way down to a 31% ABV spirit. So, I mean, you're, you're less than a typical vodka or whiskey. You're in the low 60 range for a proof. So it makes it something that you can drink, quote unquote, straight, then much more enjoyably. So I have proceeded to <laughs> double the amount of uh, liquid in my glass with water. It has totally changed. It is now cloudy. Let's try it this way. Oh, just sticking my nose into it, the aromas have really, it's really opened up the spirit. This is one of the things you'll find in, in whiskeys, tasting scotches. You know, some people will say, oh, you'll science it. You put a few drops of water in, it'll open things up. It'll change the flavor profile. And it has really awakened the spirit here with the absinthe. Yeah, there, there's more herbaceousness on the nose. Let's go for a taste. Oh, wow. That improved it immensely. I mean, imme <laughs> that has changed it so much. It's not that it softened it, obviously, because there's not the, the high punch of the ethanol at 124 proof it was before, but it's uh, just, it, it, it's different. I have to try it again. Mm. It's a lot lighter, sweeter. I get sweetness on the palate. And there's no sugar. Again, I'm not using sugar. Oftentimes you can add sugar. You'll put a sugar cube over the top and drip water over that. But oh, this is good. <laughs> wow. First absinthe. I am impressed, surprised, uh, a little sorry I've waited so long. But yeah, I'm going to enjoy a little more. Well, let's go on to the history. I feel like I've maybe jumped ahead on a lot just in that tasting it's a bit longer than I've done on a lot of other tastings, but this is the first time that I've diluted a spirit, so it seemed worthy to capture all of that experience as I went. Lucid Absinthe Superior is a true absinthe made in the historical French style, and it was created by a world-renowned absinthe expert, T.A. Bro, or Ted, as he's also known. 
Ted is the creator and master distiller of Lucid. He's a research scientist hailing from New Orleans, and he's been involved in absinthe for more than 30 years. And one of the things Ted credits with his interest in absinthe as a spirit is the Old Absinthe House, which is a venue on Bourbon Street in New Orleans that has been there since 1874. When Ted first got into absinthe, it was illegal in the U.S., and there was very little information about it available. But before I get too far into Lucid itself, absinthe as a category needs a bit more explanation for most, myself included. I've been reading up on it and doing a lot more prep for this episode than I typically do for others. Lucid is the first absinthe I've ever tried, and rumors and misconceptions surround absinthe. It's thought to be hallucinogenic, forbidden, or dangerous due to one of the key ingredients. In fact, absinthe gets its name from this botanical, Artemisia absinthia, or grand wormwood. Wormwood is a common name, applied to perhaps 400 different plants in the Artemisia family, but only Artemisia absinthia is responsible for part of the core flavor of absinthe. Required ingredients in absinthe to be considered an absinthe are three botanicals that form what's known as the holy trinity of absinthe. These are grand wormwood, green anise, or anise, and sweet fennel. To this basic mix, other herbs can be added to create variations on the theme, but with the holy trinity at its core, it's an absinthe. Lucid is made with all three, and they're listed on the front label. In truth, Artemisia absinthia, or grand wormwood, is very, very bitter, and it contains a small amount of a compound named thujone. And thujone is a chemical that's responsible in part for having absinthe banned. People mistakenly think thujone is a hallucinogen, but it's actually a neurotoxin, and being poisoned by it would give you an effect similar to having an epileptic seizure. It'd be very difficult to consume too much because it's so bitter, and bitter herbs are thought to be bitter in part to warn animals, including humans, not to eat them because they may be harmful. And when you consume something bitter, your body reacts in part by turning up your digestive process to help flush out whatever bad thing you just ate. I covered this some in some past episodes on Amaro, bitter Italian liqueurs, but that's part of the science behind bitter herbs being used in distilled spirits as digestive aids for centuries. Many, including absinthe, first were created as a medicine. But back to Grand Wormwood. It is often an ingredient in vermouth, a fortified wine common behind the bar and required for many mixed drinks. And vermouth itself is a French pronunciation of the German word vermut, which translates in English to wormwood. Grand Wormwood and many other members of the Artemisia family are ingredients in many commercially available vermouth. And nobody ever seems to think vermouth is dangerous, especially not in the same way absinthe was viewed to get it banned in the United States, Switzerland, and France. Absinthe pretty much disappeared for nearly a century, and the reasons for this are several fold, but before I can talk about the near extinction of the spirit, let's talk about the invention. The birthplace of absinthe is the town of Covet, Switzerland. It's about 15 miles from the French border, and the story goes that a French doctor named Pierre Ordinard fled the French Revolution in the 1780s to Covet. There he invented a medicine using locally sourced herbs steeped in alcohol, and this medicine, or tincture, became popular as a cure-all. Dr. Ordinaire's housekeeper and lover apparently sold the recipe after his death, or in some stories, he maybe lived longer and sold it himself. Anyway, most origin stories create Ordinaire with absence invention, but in truth, the people around Covet had likely been distilling something like it for decades before he arrived. 
Absinthe became popular outside of the Swiss town because in 1797, this recipe was sold to a major Henry Dubed, who opened a small distillery in Couvet to produce the elixir commercially. His son-in-law was a man named Henry Louis Pernod, and the two men worked together and the major using his connections to the French military to spur sales. In 1805, the son-in-law, Henry Louis Pernod, struck out on his own and opened an absinthe distillery in Pontelier, France, just over the French border from Switzerland. Again, I apologize if I'm mispronouncing French or German earlier, but anyway, uh, Henry Louis Pernod, he created a distillery just over the border in France, and this was done to avoid import duties. And if the name Pernod sounds familiar, it's because this humble distillery became the foundation for the global spirits conglomerate Pernod Ricard. In fact, Pernod Absinthe is considered the first commercially sold brand of absinthe. So Pernod refined the recipe and production method, and distillation became a key component to its production. It's often thought that Dr. Pierre Ordinar's original tincture was simply herbs steeped in a high-proof alcohol, but not redistilled. True absinthe is distilled after a maceration, and this creates one of the primary features of absinthe. The oils from the botanicals are held in suspension at a high proof, and when water is added, the oils fall out of suspension in this spontaneous emulsification, creating the louche, the cloudiness and color change of the spirit. It really is quite a bit like a magic trick, and it's one of the reasons absinthe gained the nickname the Green Fairy. Pernod and others found a customer in the French military who issued rations of absinthe to soldiers in North Africa as a way to purify water. Legend has it that soldiers developed a taste for absinthe, and as Ted Bro has said, they found that instead of adding a little absinthe to water, it became a lot more fun to add a little water to absinthe. When the soldiers returned to Europe, they continued drinking it, and it was viewed as a fashionable drink and spread across cafe culture. In the early 1800s, absinthe consumption in cafes gave the name to the original happy hour in French, la Hora verte, which translates to the green hour, but it's actually two hours from 5 to 7 p.m. Because so much absinthe was drunk, it was very aromatic and filled the streets. Also in the early 1800s, there wasn't much in the way of mixers. Cocktail culture didn't exist, and ice would even be a rarity. So mostly you had spirits, sugar, water, and bitters, but they weren't really combined. Cocktails, when they were invented, didn't take hold in France the way they did in the United States and England later in the century. So spirits in French were often just consumed mostly straight or diluted with water. The French then developed an elegant service method for absinthe to dilute the spirit with cold water using an absinthe fountain, which is an elaborate water dripper. You never put absinthe in the fountain, it was just water used to drip into your glass of absinthe. Optionally, you could have a sugar cube on an absinthe spoon, which is a flat spoon that would sit over a glass, and you could put a sugar cube on top, and the water dripping on that would then dilute the sugar into the glass. So you get a little sweetened absinthe that then will louche when you get the right amount of water into it. Patrons were served a glass of absinthe neat, and most glasses have a line at the bottom, kind of a fill line, or even a rounded bulb area where the bartender or server at the time would simply pour the absinthe up to the line, hand the glass to the patron, and then patrons were able to dilute to their taste. If there were not fancy absinthe fountain water drippers, there'd be crafts of cold water available for patrons to mix. 
Absinthe became super popular, but true absinthe was expensive to produce, and this created opportunities for unscrupulous people to cut corners. So low-grade, cheaper versions of quote-unquote absinthe were made with some truly poisonous ingredients like copper sulfate for color and other adulterations. This coincided in the 1860s with the phylloxera insect pest that ravaged vineyards in France, spiking the price of wine. This made absinthe a ready replacement for wine, so a lot of people shifted their preference from wine consumption to absinthe. And by the 1880s, the French were drinking 36 million liters of absinthe a year. As cocktails began to be created in the latter half of the 1800s, Absinthe was used because of its ubiquity. It's a key ingredient in several classic cocktails, but it was also used simply to add a dash or two to many drinks, in much the same way you may add a dash of bitters to a cocktail today. But by the turn of the century in the early 1900s, absinthe had fallen out of favor, and this was due to a number of reasons. It eventually was banned first in Belgium in 1906, followed by Switzerland in 1910, France in 1912, and the United States in 1915. A confluence of dubious health claims blamed on absinthe that probably were just alcoholism, pressure from a wine industry reestablishing itself after a, a plague, essentially from insects, a growing temperance movement that sought to ban alcohol entirely, and governments scapegoating absinthe for social ills, all led to banning. This killed off almost all production, and absinthe went into the shadows, almost to be forgotten. It gained notoriety in the decades that followed with more rumors and misconceptions about it circulating as fewer and fewer people had ever experienced true absinthe. Also, because it was called for in many cocktails but unavailable, it gained a certain mystique. The Savoy Cocktail Book, for instance, contains more than 100 recipes that include absinthe. So back to Lucid and Ted Bro, who became interested in absinthe prior to the birth of the internet. And in the early 1990s in particular, absinthe came back to the market with the introduction of non-traditional absinthe newly produced in the Czech Republic. These were not much more than artificially colored and flavored high-proof vodkas that didn't luche. But because almost nobody knew what absinthe actually was, they sold well. A bohemian style of service was developed for these, where the high-proof green-colored spirit was poured on a sugar cube, and then this sugar cube was lit on fire. And once some of the ethanol had burnt off, it's mixed into the drink. A nice trick for tourists and a way to mask the non-louche nature of the spirit. Ted Bro, however, was able to test the contents of vintage sealed bottles of absinthe and do chemical analysis on them. He was searching for the hallucinogens or the, the harmful chemicals in these banned spirits. The analyzed samples from these vintage absinths that were drawn from full sealed bottles were the basis of some peer-reviewed articles that were published on pre-ban absinths to prove that there was nothing harmful in the spirits. With this analytical data and the use of written accounts and published and unpublished sources, it became Ted's mission to recreate vintage absinthe. He started distilling absinthe at the Cambier Distillery in France in January of 2004. Ted's business partner at the time, an accomplished lawyer, was able to get in front of the TTB in the USA, which is the regulatory body for distilled spirits. 
It took about a year of negotiation to convince the government that absinthe was safe and the ban should be lifted. And on March 5th, 2007, they got approval. Ted spent a lot of energy on Lucid to create an authentic absinthe in the vintage style. It contains grand wormwood, and made in a traditional way, in a traditional distillery, it is absinthe as it was a century ago. In 2013, my hometown distillery, Hood River Distillers, purchased the Lucid brand for an undisclosed sum, and Ted Bro has remained in charge of the spirit. HRD did update the label. Original bottles had green cat eyes on them, but beyond the packaging, HRD seems to have left it as is. So that's your crash course in absinthe as a spirit category, and Lucid in particular. So now let's talk about how it's made. Lucid is made in France in the Loire Valley at the Combier Distillery that was designed by Gustave Eiffel in the 1880s. It still features the original copper pot stills and ironwork designed by Gustave Eiffel. It's quite a sight to see when you see pictures of it online. Absinthe production is not unlike gin production. They start with a neutral spirit. In Lucid's case, it's a beet-based neutral spirit that's a high proof, to which they add a large volume of botanicals to create a maceration. And the difference from a gin production to an absinthe production is the volume of botanicals. There's many, many more botanicals as far as quantity, not really variety, but the quantity of botanicals in a maceration is much higher for absinthe. And after soaking for a period of time, this maceration is distilled in a copper pot still to create a clear distillate with the flavors and aromas of the botanicals. To the clear distillate, they then infuse the softer botanicals, these botanicals that would be ruined by a distillation. This infusion step is where the green color comes from, and it's all natural. The infused distillate is then brought to an appropriate bottling proof, and like all absinthe, it's sold in a dark bottle as exposure to too much light could change the natural colors. But that's essentially it. You then have a vintage-style, legitimate absinthe made today. So now on to cocktails and consumption. So I did try <laughs> this absinthe neat, and it's not advised. It is really high proof at 124 proof. It just kind of burns. You get a tingling, numbing of the tongue. It's, it's too high proof. But it's really not meant to be consumed neat. It is always intended to be diluted. And the French or continental service method is to dilute it about one to one. It's to your own preference, but you want to loose it. You want to add water until it clouds and you get this total change. That's really quite magic. And I can see the appeal. I've often looked at buying an absinthe fountain and I may have to get one. So uh, it's a oftentimes they're may have the figure of a, a woman holding up a, a giant globe that is a clear glass that you fill with ice water. And you can typically get two to three or four different taps that come off that just allow you to drip little bits of water down from it. So I may get one of those. There is also a glass top device that's, uh, I will not try to pronounce the French word for it, but it translates to boiler. And basically this is just a small drip device that you fill with water and sit on top of your glass and it slowly drips one drop at a time. Or you can just kind of 
go for the uh, the blunt method I did and just kind of pour some water into your glass until you like it. I did drop several drops out of a straw, but that was taking a little while. So you just kind of mix it, eyeball it. You could measure, but again, you can't take water out. You can only add it in. So you kind of louche to your liking. And then you can add sugar if you like. It's traditional to use a sugar cube, but it's not required. But beyond drinking it just on its own with water, Absinthe, of course, is a vintage spirit, and it's featured prominently in vintage or classic cocktails. There's any number of them. Again, the Savoy Cocktail Book that was published in 1930 includes more than 100 recipes that call for absinthe. So in summary, what do I think of Lucid Absinthe? It surprised me. I was a little bit apprehensive, as I said at the beginning of the episode, about the flavor, but it's quite good, especially diluted. Don't really drink it straight. Not recommended. But the louche, that is appealing. And I can really see the appeal of drinking glass after glass just for nothing more to watch it cloud. (laughs) That's quite appealing. And also when it's about one to one, you know, you're at a 31%-ish alcohol by volume, you can drink a number of glasses before it's really going to impact you too much, depending on your tolerance. But it's got a great story. It's this entire category of spirit that we almost lost. It was almost gone for about a century, and we could have lost it if it wasn't for people like Ted Bro. So you've got to really thank them. He he and his partner literally changed U.S. law, and that is a feat in and of itself. He allowed a banned product to be sold in the U.S. again after 95 years because he was able to prove to the regulatory bodies that it was not harmful and it should be available for sale. And when he did it, he came through with a quality product. It wasn't just something that they turned out quickly. It Lucid holds its own. It is great. And I am sorry I've waited this long to try Absinthe. It's quite good. So that's going to do it for this episode, the 50th episode of Liquor and the Core Connoisseur. I'm your host, Matt Burchard. Please subscribe and share. Tell your friends. Show notes are on liquorandliqueurconnoisseur.com. You can also find the show on your favorite podcast platform. The shows on social media, Instagram and Facebook are where I'm most active. I really love hearing from my fans and my listeners. So if you have a spirit you'd like to know more about, you'd like me to try, please reach out and give me your feedback. And as always, thank you for listening.